This podcast is brought to you by Two More Reps Coffee Beans. Get your two more reps with this natural pre-workout. Buy your bag at twomoreps.com.au. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Paul's Body Engineering Podcast. Today's episode is a cracker. Um, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Coach Nicholas Weir. And um, for those that don't know, Nicholas is a uh, classic physique athlete. He's also a powerlifter. He's a coach running a very successful business. And he is openly he openly talks about enhancements. Um, he's an enhanced athlete. And uh, I approached him about speaking openly on a podcast about enhancements and the use of them, um, the use of them in bodybuilding and other sports. And this was such a refreshing, uh, honest and transparent chat. It's one of my favorite for sure. One of my favorite podcasts in the time I've been doing this. So I urge anyone who's just got an interest in it, um, maybe those that haven't um, dabbled in it but are considering, please listen to this podcast. Get all the information you can um, before you make that decision. But um, Nick was great, and I cannot thank him enough. But for now, let's have a listen and get on with the podcast. All right. All right, Nicholas Weir, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? Yeah, yeah, really good, mate. Really good. Thanks for having me on board. Hey, really, oh, really appreciate it. Not a problem, mate. I know, I know how busy you are. You certainly highlight that in terms of the way you organise your days and everything. So I, I do appreciate your time. <laughs> Um, and I've been, I've been obviously speaking to your partner about getting you on because, um, you know, you've just come off a pretty intense prep, your first prep in the IFBB world. Do you want to just sort of, we were just talking off, off air about it. Um, do you want to sort of just elaborate on the experience and was it what you expected? Was it not? Was it, um, a highlight of your career to date? Like, did you learn a lot about yourself as well through the process? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, so yeah, in regards to how it went, I mean, or, or how I expected it to go versus how it went, yeah. I didn't really go in with any expectations because I didn't want to kind of set myself up for disappointment or or anything of that nature. So um, I mean, obviously, I come from powerlifting, uh, a powerlifting background. Yep. Uh, initially, I started lifting years ago. Uh, just a real quick kind of like recap on on my my training career, I guess you could say. Mm. Uh, high school, I was always a little runty guy. Um, my, my dad was really into lifting his entire life. He was born prematurely. And so he always, always that real athletic lean guy growing up. Um, it was still pretty tall for like a premature guy, 5'10. And my mum was always very fit and active. So, uh, both my parents, uh, were very athletic. So I came from a good background, had a good epigenetical starting point, I guess you could say, yep. um, in terms of that. So I responded well to training and stuff and, 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 uh, sport when I did do it, but I didn't have much of a passion in school for it. I was more of a bookworm academic. And it wasn't until, uh, probably my early teens, I, I was watching Pumping Iron with my dad and my dad used to do a lot of bodybuilding. A lot of his friends when he was younger, uh, competed in like the, the NABRA and stuff like that. His yeah. uh, best friend, Saya Fayanga, who was, uh, actually the father of the Fayanga twins for the Queensland Reds. They were very oh, close yeah. family friends of ours because yeah, we, yeah. we all grew up in Canberra. My yeah, dad right. was a Canberra boy, St. Edmunds College and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, and yeah, so uh, growing up uh, and and seeing the photos of like my dad when he lifted with Sayer and that sort of thing, and then obviously uh, watching Pumping Iron, every kid, I think 
I think every young kid wants to build muscle the moment that they see these like comic book heroes and, and yeah. people that they look up to. Absolutely. And that was kind of what did it for me. So yeah, I got into lifting uh, in high school, developed an eating disorder toward the end of high school. I won't go into that too much because that can go a little bit off tangent, but sure. <clears throat> essentially I, I recovered from that. Um, uh, when I, I finished recovering, uh, my starting point was about 58 kilo at six foot one. So I was yeah, pretty, right. uh, actually lighter. I think I was 57 kilo at six foot one. So it's quite light. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, obviously started lifting consistently. Um, a couple of years into lifting, I decided to give powerlifting a go because I saw this guy in the gym, like lifting stupid amounts of weight. And I was like, Oh man, that's so impressive. At the time it was five plates aside. It was a Islander guy. Right. And, uh, his name was Richie, Richie Talfer. I think he was a, a, a powerlifting Australia competitor at the time. And, and he was a super heavyweight, a 125 kilo uh, powerlifter. But yeah, he was squatting two, uh, 220 for reps in sleeves and no belt. And I was like, I- is that like a PB? And he said, no, nah, mate, I'm just uh, warming up. I'm just rehabbing from an old injury. And I was like, you, you, you're bloody kidding me, right? <laughs> and uh, I found that impressive because I was that kid in the gym that I was starting to progress at that point quite a bit. Like I was probably two or three years into li- lifting naturally. And like, I had a good base. Like yep. I was... Um, I was squatting like one, like I didn't try to get strong, but I was squatting ice to grass 140 high bar for sets of six to 10, which I thought was pretty good for like a, a yeah, young cool. bloke. Yep. Um, about 80, 85 kilos to 90 kilos sitting around that like 12, 30% body fat mark. And that was kind of like where I, um, I was like, okay, I want to give this powerlifting thing a go. Started to prepare for powerlifting. Then I found out that, um, in, in, into powerlifting eventually I found out that I was in an untested federation and I was like, okay, well, if I want to be on the same level as these guys, I need to be doing what these guys are doing. Sure. Um, and that was kind of where I decided to make the switch from being natural to enhanced. And, um, I, yeah. So then I, I went into uh, powerlifting years, got a couple of injuries toward the end of my uh, powerlifting career. And then I decided about 18 months ago, you know what? I've always wanted to do bodybuilding. I've been in the closet about it, which is a bit funny. I always <laughs> thought it was kind of like, People, people like, because I came from a, a small country town on the Sunshine Coast, and like, it was more of like, oh, that that stuff for like, for for I don't want to say the word, but like, like you, you know what I mean, like I did it, yeah. that sort of thing. It's like, yep. yeah, and and I was just like, okay, well, you know what, screw it, screw what other people think. I've wanted to do this, and if I don't do it now, I'm always going to be wondering what if. Sure. So prep for bodybuilding. Started training arms for the first time about eighteen months ago. Same thing with calves and shoulders and. And I just started responding well to the training because I hadn't trained that way before. Um, and obviously with pharmacology, that obviously just enhances the effect. Um, and yeah, uh, competed, did states two weekends ago, uh, did a lot better than I expected. Didn't expect to place in anything. I won first time as uh, classic physique category, which was good. Yep. I gave opens a shot. Um, I didn't, I didn't place, but I did get first call outs, which was good. Yep. Um, uh, I, I have to check the placing, but I was, yeah, I was either, I think I placed like fifth or something out of the opens which i'm pretty happy with considering that the lineup was quite a stacked lineup uh, yep. all the guys that i'd competed against were uh seasoned competitors um and it was obviously my first show i was very green um i went into nationals the following weekend which was just a weekend just gone in melbourne and uh it was a ifb pro qualifier i didn't place there unfortunately um and i i think i was a little bit more disappointed at the end of that show just because i did kind of go in with a little bit of an expectation of like okay this past week i've gotten a little bit leaner um, I, I expect to do a little bit better and I kind yep. of like finished around the same mark. I did the opens. I placed uh, sixth. So okay. I, I got first call outs again, but uh, it was, it was, I shouldn't have gone in with any expectations. That was the mistake that I made there. 
Yep. Uh, and at the end of the day, I I lost I lost fairly to the, the the five guys that placed in front of me. They had great physiques. They bought incredible packages and uh, have a lot of respect for them because they were they were really awesome guys and and good competitors. They they held themselves well. They their posing was impeccable, especially Callum who won the overall and got his pro card. Uh, yes. I had a lot of re- a lot of respect for him and I. I, I, I hat, hat off to him because uh, that's obviously what I aspire to do one day now. Um, and, and it was really cool to see somebody uh, who has clearly busted their ass to, to, to get to that point. And, uh, and yeah, uh, I was as happy for him as I would have been for myself if I had have uh, won a pro card. But really? obviously I knew that wasn't going to happen going in uh, like off the cuff. Like you very rarely see somebody win their pro card and win overalls in their first show. Like it's just yes. not not something that goes because obviously there's so much involved in bodybuilding as you'd know like and that's something that this definitely opened my mind up to i always thought oh it's just you, you strip down you get lean you oil up and you put on some trunks and you just flex in front of crowd a little bit there's like <laughs> they stage stage presence there's how how fluent and how choreographed your posing is yeah um how you treat the other competitors on stage if you're a dick on stage they're going to notice that like you're getting marked on every single little thing you do the moment you walk out on that stage that's right and uh even smiling how how are you smiling you're smiling does it look fake does it look forced does it look uncomfortable like are you making the process look like it's effortless like a second nature or are you are you shaking like you've got parkinson's disease like all these little <laughs> things matter <laughs> and i'm allowed i'm allowed to make that Make that joke because I'm genetically predisposed to developing that later in life. So. Okay, all right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> For any of the political, yeah, but yeah, that's uh, yeah, it was a good good experience. I, I enjoyed it, and um, it's it's left a fire in my belly to really push this off season, this improvement season. I know where I need to improve, and yep. it's just a matter of crossing my t's, dot my's. Unreal. So, what, what's how long's the off season? What's your plan in terms of that? Okay, so essentially, because I'm a an enhanced athlete, I basically. Yep. And because uh, obviously being a coach myself, um, working with my coach, it's kind of like a collaborative coaching experience um, because we both have a lot of knowledge to bring to the table. Sure. Myself, obviously studying studying pre pre med at university. My coach, obviously having studied nutrition at university, like there's uh, and also a bit of exercise physiology. There's a bit of like a, a I guess a co coaching experience that goes on. So I've basically mapped out a restoration phase of about eight to ten weeks, which is essentially to restore and normalize all physiological functions obviously the the ones that you'd be familiar with work with natural athletes are like uh, restoring energy availability to a, a, a ideal place because obviously when we finish prep adaptive thermogenesis has taken uh, a lot of time to be able to set in and, and yep. you have this very efficient metabolism that's obviously ideal for survival but terrible for growth and uh, yes. the prevention of fat accrual and and, and just yeah it, overall just uh, feeling good so um, the, the next eight to 10 weeks is, uh, basically down to physiologic levels of testosterone, uh, on my TRT script. And then basically once I correct all of the, the, the health markers, normalize all of that, I'll probably get a couple of organ ultrasounds, um, uh, a few other, uh, I guess you could say more, uh, specific tests that a lot of other people don't get that I definitely think they should get uh, in relation to, um their, their heart and how that's going uh, I'll, I'll get those and i'll just see where everything's sitting and if everything's in a good position in 10 weeks then i'll commence my uh improvement season off-season push which will be very conservative um and and yeah basically it'll be probably a, a 12 to 16 12 to 16 week uh periods of accumulation broken up with like a two to four week aggressive mini cut just to help attenuate fat accumulation through that off-season um yep. Also keep uh, insulin sensitivity, nutrient petitioning, all those sort of things at an all-time high. Uh, restore that appetite because I'm 
I'm naturally what people would call a hard gainer, funny enough, even though I'm quite a large human for my size. Um, I, I struggle to eat beyond my appetite. After I've been in surplus for, say, eight weeks' time, uh, I just lose all desire to eat anything and yeah, I'm just right. struggling with possible. And being very adaptive metabolically, I don't know if you're the same, but when I'm dieting, I have to push calories quite low toward the end because my body does adapt very fast. But the flip side, it's a double-edged sword. When dieting, you have to take calories substantially lower than, say, an individual with a less adaptive metabolism. But yes. in the off-season, you have to drive them a lot higher too. I'll, I'll finish my off-season on six to 7,000 calories a day. Yeah, so, wow. And with, like, with say, 7,500 steps per day, so minimal activity. Yep. Um, I always try to keep two cardio sessions in um, per week all, all year round just for general cardiovascular health. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll vary the type of cardiovascular training. It might be a period of low-intensity steady state in a more, I guess, uh, moderate training phase in regards to the weight training than when uh, – or, sorry, in a, a harder training phase. And then when there's, like, um, say, like a, a more moderate training phase, I'll implement some high-intensity interval training cardio just because, okay. obviously, that has some crossover fatigue when it comes to doing real high-impact heavy training. Yep. Um, and, yeah, just, just that sort of thing. So that'll be the plan. The goal is to focus on bringing up arms predominantly. Um, now that we've established, I can definitely make 185.5 centimeters every time. Now that we've also established that I could come in, say one to two kilo leaner next time. That gives right. me a wiggle room of about, uh, about four kilos to play with in terms of four kilos of lean tissue I can gain while still just being on the very borderline edge of my weight cap off for my, right. um, for my, yeah. So if I can add say two to two and a half kilos of lean tissue over the next off season, um, to my arms uh, and, and a little bit to my calves and delts then, uh, and then just come in a little bit leaner and tighter, I think I'll definitely be able to uh, blow, blow the competition away a little bit more. Unreal, unreal. So mm. was, that, was that based on feedback or was that your own assessment and your coach, other coaches' assessment um, for those improvements? Uh, uh, it was my, my own, own assessment, speaking to other people as well as my coach. Um, yep. Honestly, like we weren't too sure if my conditioning was going to be an issue going into the, the show, but obviously uh, being, being classic physique, uh, uh, we've always kind of, my coach and I assumed that they weren't after that same kind of level of conditioning that they are in opens because it's more of a, what you're trying to look like the golden era bodybuilders and they yes. were nowhere near as, they were lean, but they weren't anywhere near as lean as open bodybuilders these days. Like you look That's at people right. like even in the nat- natural bodybuilding community, Brandon Kempter and, and yeah. uh, the likes of yourself as well. Like you guys get incredibly peeled for your shows now. It's like, it's really ri- risen the bar and set the standard higher. And it's same things occurring in the IFBB with the classic physique. Like they're wanting that, that drier, tighter, stringier look almost, but they still want a little bit of fullness. Um, and so what you're finding is a lot of the guys that are on the borderline of their weight class, they're not even doing carb ups anymore. And they're just coming in a little bit flatter because they come in that little bit like leaner then. Um, but yeah, the, the, the plan will be to just basically, yeah, bring in conditioning because that's the feedback we kind of received from sure. um, other. Yeah. We spoke to a couple of the, uh, the, the judges in private too. I haven't heard back from my feedback form yet, but um, mm-hmm. just speaking to a couple of the judges in private, they've said, yeah, look, um, that could be improved on. Also, I've got a little bit of scarring on my skin that I could try it, uh, like improve and get rid of. So I've got to try get some, um, uh, I guess you call it like, uh, acid peeling or whatever done to my skin. Oh, yeah, okay. Clear up that. Yeah. Yep. Um, some of it's some of it's from um, like poor PED usage at the beginning, and then also some of it's from child abuse. So it's kind of like it's a. I've got to get it sorted though because it is noticeable, and obviously appearance matters on stage. 
Of course, yeah. yeah, of course. Just on the on the, the subject you brought up about uh, you're sort of looking at the conditioning of um, natural versus enhanced and, and the difference, you know, mm. you mentioned Brandon, who ironically is my coach at the moment, um, and how yeah. lean we could – yeah, like, incredibly smart individual, good dude. Um, it, do you find that there's a difference and, – and correct me if I'm wrong because, again, I'm not too familiar with the, the levels of um, enhanced athletes and the conditioning mm. that they get, but – as you mentioned, the, the the striations and the um, the conditioning that naturals can get to, it's it's quite alien-like almost as a as a descriptive metaphor. Whereas the enhanced, and obviously we can look to the top of the Olympia tree or even just IPB in Australia, um, it, it doesn't seem to be as conditioned from a visual perspective. Would that have a lot to do with the the enhancement that they're taking? They they tend to develop quite quickly, but the muscle fibers, the density, the thickness isn't always as conditioned. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I definitely think it does play a contributing factor, or like a, a large role in regards to why you do see that discrepancy with the enhanced first natural athletes when it comes to the conditioning side of things. Okay. Um, I mean, you, you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of, um, uh, I guess you could say like systems in the body that you're playing with when you do introduce drugs and, and exogenous hormones into the mix. And so, I mean, when you're a drug-free natural athlete, obviously as you get leaner and leaner, testosterone endogenous production is going to gradually progressively decrease um with that obviously aromatization to things like estrogen and uh reduction to dht via 5 alpha reductase are also going to decrease um you've got like your thyroid production that's impacted that sort of thing um uh insulin sensitivity tends to increase and improve with like any individuals as they get leaner obviously because like the the less fat you have like the the the, the better your your body's tends to process and utilize carbohydrates that sort of thing um but you, you've got like a lot of stuff that's going on and then i mean when you add exogenous hormones you're kind of it's hard like there's a lot of um variables that can suddenly become unpredictable like i mean you your uh renin aldosterone angiotensin all that sort of stuff that can be thrown around quite a bit depending on what compounds you're on um so if you're taking like super physiologic levels of testosterone like just just the, the bio identical testosterone that we produce endogenously if you take a exogenous form of that in higher than natural levels like that increases or leads to an increased rate of aromatization to estrogen, which means higher estrogen levels, more water retention via that mechanism. Also got an increased um, a reduction to five, uh, DHT via 5-alpha-reductase enzyme, which is obviously going to lead to, um, I guess you could say, more androgenic or uh, virile effects of testosterone that you tend to see um, and, and that sort of thing. So you, 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 can, you can really start to mess with a lot of things and then obviously adding orals into the mix that can place stress on your hepatic system, your renal system, so your liver and kidneys. And then obviously if your, your liver and your kidneys are under stress, that can cause fluid retention, things like that. Uh, kidneys, especially if your kidneys aren't filtering at an ideal rate, that can lead to edema and things like that, uh, which is obviously swelling of the ankles and, and other parts yeah. of the body that can, that can definitely mask, um, uh, mask conditioning, so to speak. Uh, Cause obviously the, the body's always trying to maintain that like, um homeostatic uh state of like uh intracellular and extracellular fluid yep. so like when you when you just increase fluid overall in general you're going to get that intracellular fluid increasing and also that extracellular proportionally increasing and i mean when your health gets out of whack that can start to throw that off a little bit too um, yeah. so there's a lot of things that can affect it um also like things like cortisol that, that can be affected by cool. certain uh, lipolytic agents if you're using things like clenbuterol uh, which is a beta 2 androgenic agonist that obviously can help promote. Oh, that's a, I'll have to ignore that. This, I've got a, my macros delivery or whatever getting delivered to. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that's cool. They call in my, 
<laughs> um, so just ignore that phone in the background. But but yeah, basically, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of things at play, and I mean that the more drugs you add into the mix, mm. the more difficult it is to determine what the catalyst is for that kind of appearance or that look that's kind of taking place and setting in. Um, but typically, what you'll see a lot of bodybuilders do toward the end of their prep is they'll th- do things like. They'll um they'll add in aromatase inhibitors to reduce the conversion or the, the aromatization of testosterone to estrogen, so I can lower those estrogen levels, uh, which obviously reduces any water retention that's associated with high estrogen in the body. Uh, they'll also take, um, I guess you could say like they they call them hardening agents. They're not actually hardening agents, and it's a a big misconception in the enhanced bodybuilding community, predominantly with the bros that don't really know much about pharmacology is they think, Oh, these compounds are for bulking. These are for hardening and cutting and drying out. It's like, okay. no, like you, if you're not lean enough, you're not going to look dry and these agents aren't going to harden you. Like right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the body fat, body fat is still obviously the underpinning thing here. And then obviously how much fluid you're retaining from stress. If you can, uh, attenuate any like fluid retention from stress on the the organs or just psychological stress that sort of thing uh in conjunction with uh making sure aromatization doesn't get too high estrogen levels to stay in, in that kind of like balance then you can bring in the conditioning quite well but i still think obviously natural bodybuilders are always going to have that little bit of an advantage there but where the enhanced bodybuilders have an advantage is we can leverage drugs to come in fuller and so that's where I mean, you'll always notice like even when a natural bodybuilder carves up, they look great, but they don't have that 3D look that a lot of enhanced bodybuilders have. And that, yep. comes, that comes from the drugs. Like that can't be replicatable to the same magnitude. It can be uh, replicated quite close. And you look at a few people like uh, Jeff Alberts and Alberto Nunez have done it quite successfully over in uh, America, 3D MJ, 3D muscle yep. journey. Yep. Um, and, and even Eric Helms to a degree, like he came in quite, but full in a couple of his later shows. I remember. Uh, but it's, yeah, yeah. Especially that one where he did a uh, classic and he did that like photo shoot to like, uh, I guess you could say commemorate Frank Zane and that sort of yes, thing. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, he looked, looked fantastic. Like amazing 100%. natural physique. Like I, I I was blown away by that. Like he's put on like a lot of muscle over the last five years, five, seven years, and it's been great to watch. But like, but yeah, it's just, there's that discrepancy. So I Definitely, I agree with you. I think the natural bodybuilding community, they can come in that little bit more condition because they don't have the the disadvantage of like the fluid retention that is caused from the, the drugs. And also, you could also argue that, I mean, this is very true for uh, natural bodybuilders versus enhanced bodybuilders who never competed naturally or who never really trained that long naturally. Is like a lot of the enhanced bodybuilders that just went enhanced shortly after starting lifting. Yep. A lot of them don't know how to diet. They don't know how to diet hard. They don't know how to push. They don't know how to dig and they don't know how to train properly. And I mean, they, as they train more and more, a lot of them eventually do kind of like learn that along the way and they catch up eventually and it does get better. But yep. I think a lot of, a lot of uh, people who prematurely jump to that enhanced side lack that um, nutritional and training literacy required to obviously get a high caliber physique without the aid or the uh, assistance of pharmaceuticals. And that does them a disservice because if they were to just do a few shows naturally and train their ass off and, and dial their nutrition in more and rely on those variables that don't involve drugs more for a few years and then make the switch. Yep. I mean, some of the best enhanced bodybuilders you see come from a natural bodybuilding background. 100%. Of course um, I do. Like, yeah, a couple of the guys uh, in the IFBB now, I know some of them had competed like, I think like, oh, it would have been like, they've done at least 10 shows naturally. And like, it shows, like you look at them, the, the density they have, the balance of their physique, 
Um, you, you can see that they have a very strong, good foundation in proper movement, like lifting well and, and eating and training properly and managing those um, those recovery fatigue variables like sleep, hydration, and micronutrient intake very well yeah. and effectively. And it's like that stuff matters so much. And you do see a lot of enhanced bodybuilders, unfortunately, not take that stuff as seriously. They're like, oh, well, if a bodybuilder plateaus and they're enhanced, they can just feel, like, oh, well, I'll just up the dose, even though that's not the ideal approach. A lot of them will just do that. But more isn't always better. And, and that's something that I like to always stress to anybody who is enhanced or thinking about going enhanced. It's like, you you want to do this, this, and this, but you you already aren't doing this, this, and this. It's like they'll say, I've had like 17-year-old kids message me on Instagram, like, oh, can you tell me what you think of this cycle? And I said, first of all, like, you shouldn't even be thinking about drugs. Like, you know, you the appropriate age to be thinking about it. Secondly, if you need to ask somebody on Instagram what they think of this, you clearly have not done your research and you clearly don't understand the things that you're considering putting into your body. So maybe you should actually do some more research and and feel more confident in your own judgment before you ask for a second opinion. And, and thirdly, like you're, like I said, you're 17. You, yeah. I highly doubt you have trained consistently naturally for at least five years. Like you don't have a foundation in training or nutrition. I, I can almost say with absolute certainty, you probably don't know how to determine what foods have high levels of vitamin A, D, B vitamins, C vitamins. Like you don't know how to manage all these things. And you, I, I'm sure that you're going out on the part and partying every weekend, going on benders and not getting sufficient sleep. So it's like, how about you focus on just dialing your nutrition in, training properly, sleeping eight to nine hours a night, and then get yeah, back to me in two stuff. years' time and, and tell me tell me if you're still wanting to make the switch or or, or or tell me what you've learned and like how much progress you've made. Because I can guarantee you, if you do all of that, you're going to see a, a much bigger return on investment than if you were to just do a cycle. That's going to just mess you up at this point. Um, it's kind of like building building a house. So you try build try build the, uh, I guess the final features of the house without the foundations. It's going to just be a disaster. Yeah, like, that's the way you look at it. Hundred percent. Just on that, like that's mm. that's a really good point you raise. Um, do you find, and you probably get contacts all the time using that example of the seventeen year old. Do you find that the youth, you know, that seventeen, eighteen, the young males in particular, are so heavily influenced by, by what they see on social media that they they don't want to show the patience or, or the time to put in the work naturally to obviously, mm. you know, hit, hit their ceiling. They just want to get big now. Um, it, yeah. It's probably a big misconception. So they think, right, drugs, let's go, let's get big. And not only is it a disservice to their potential, but also implications to their health, I'm assuming, as well. 100%, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you've, you can probably agree with me. Like you think back to when you're like 18, 20, 21, it's like, Okay, if somebody said like, oh, if I give you this like pill and you could just, you could win the Olympia, add 20 kilos of muscle, but you're going to die 15 years earlier. It's like, yeah. would you do it? You'd probably be like, if you were passionate about bodybuilding, you'd be like, hell yeah, give me like 10 of those pills. Like, yeah. But as you get as you get older, you start to learn and, 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 and acknowledge and realize the value and the importance of life and, and everything that it entails and, and that there's more to life than just bodybuilding. And that like to, to, to jeopardize your health and to substantially shorten your lifespan for the sake of a personal somewhat selfish and vain goal is is a very bad trade-off and i mean um I, I don't think a lot of people young people have that foresight to be able to see into the future and think okay well is this something that i really want to do or is this just a, an impulsive decision i want to make now 
because I feel inadequate compared to my peers and compared to the people that I watch and look up to on social media. And yet I, I, I do think, like you said, that a lot of people unfortunately are heavily influenced by what they see on social media. And I mean, it, there's nothing wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with bodybuilders being open about being enhanced and I, I suppose documenting their process online, but they need to just be very careful about the way they go about it. And also they need to kind of keep in mind that there's a lot of young individuals watching them. And so yeah. it's probably important that they stress uh, and I suppose highlight all of the negatives as much as they highlight all the positives. Uh, because if, if somebody's like seeing this person progress like 10 times faster than them and they're just talking about all these things that are amazing, but they're not talking about these terrible things that happen, these side effects, it's like all of a sudden these young guys are going to be like, oh, yeah, I want to do this. But if they find out that, oh, yeah, you, you're like you can get erectile dysfunction, uh, you can get cystic acne, enlarging of the mammary glands behind the nipples, which mm. then requires surgery that costs five to $10,000 then you're left with a little bit of scarring if you don't get it done well by a good plastic surgeon, that sort of thing. If you're um, not aware of like uh, your, uh, I guess, genetic predispositions to certain illnesses and and health complications, like say you've got heart conditions that run in the family, like congenital heart disease or something like that, um, you can obviously exacerbate that using any kind of uh, performance enhancing drug, especially ones that have a direct impact on the cardiac tissue. So things like that, like if, if people highlighted the negatives of that more, uh, I think people would be a little bit more reluctant to kind of like make that jump, especially the younger individuals, because they're very impressionable. So if you, yeah, if I think it's definitely a problem um, that the youth and, and we do live in an instant gratification society now. Like, I mean, my, 100%. my generation is kind of like on the, it was on the cusp. I was kind of like the last um, generation before, like the kind of like the new kind of new age kind of generations set in and, so I kind of, I was at the end of the last year of like, we had typewriters in school, that sort of thing that we'd practice typing on. Yeah. We had like all this sort of stuff. We'd practice our cursive writing, that sort of thing. We didn't have computers in school for the majority of the time. And then it started coming into all the tail end and now kids have iPads and everything. They're walking around on the street without even looking at anything. Like, yeah. Everything's now, now, now. Like we didn't, we didn't have Uber Eats. If we wanted to get a meal, we'd have to walk to the fish and chip shop or like ride our bikes as kids yeah. and like order it and sit there and wait for 30 minutes and get it and then ride back home. They need it. If we wanted to watch a VHS, we'd have to drive to the video store. We couldn't just like, oh, yeah, I'll go on to Netflix. If we wanted to go on the internet, we had to use dial-up. And, oh, like, <laughs> oh, dial-up. Remember dial-up? Oh. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like the, the, the demand to have things now has just like exponentially increased over the last 10 to 15 years or even a little bit longer now, 20 years. And I think yep. that has a, played a big contributing role in regards to why the younger people these days kind of want to just jump the gun and also the accessibility. Like if you, if you, um, I mean, so many kids know how to jump on the deep, dark, deep, oh, fuck. Deep, <laughs> <laughs> feel free to beat that out. Deep no, dark web. Go for uh, it. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do it, but apparently like teenagers these days know how to go onto the dark web and, and like the black market and order stuff. Like I, I have no clue how to do that. And I, yep. I wouldn't know where to start. Like, but that's just me. I'm I'm a bit technologically illiterate, and I, I I kind of I see that as a blessing in disguise. To be honest, 100 percent, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a lot of young kids they can just jump on the computer, order what they want, and it arrives at their door, and then they just start taking it without even knowing what it is. It's like yeah. it's made in some guy's basement a lot of the time. Like you're not getting it from a, a doctor. So it's like there's a question of are you actually getting what you're paying for? Or are you getting something completely different, or are you getting something that's just completely fake and it's just empty oil? Like yeah, you don't know. And and so I mean. And then a lot of these guys aren't getting blood work because, oh, blood work costs money. Okay, well, cool. So you don't care about your health. 
you're willing to spend money on drugs that are probably made by some crackhead in the bathtub, but you you don't you don't want to spend fifty dollars on a, a blood panel every three months to make sure that your health markers are in check. Like seriously, get your priorities straight. Like um, so, yeah. So definitely, it's, it's yeah. Uh, a lot of kids look up to these guys, and it's yeah, double edged sword, blessing and a curse at the same time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let's go back to obviously we spoke at the start, or you spoke at the start about obviously starting powerlifting. And you made the decision to go enhanced. Did you have any um, apprehension about doing that, knowing what you knew at that point in time, or you're happy to just because you know? Correct me if I'm wrong, but once you go enhanced, you pretty much that's it. You, you're over to that side. You can't come back and compete naturally or anything like that. Um, I suppose you could if you were you exactly. know, ten years clean or whatever, but it's it's an ethical yeah. conundrum. Um, was yeah. was there any apprehension or or questions? Did you do a bit of research before you actually went down that path? Yeah, so I I did. Unlike a lot of like individuals, and I don't say this to try to prop myself up, but unlike a lot sure. of individuals that I knew at the time, I did do a lot of reading and research prior to making the decision to switch. Yep. Uh, I did uh, probably two two to three years of reading about drugs and stuff before I made the switch, just because that the chemistry things always interested me because I was a very big like physics chemistry buff in school and loved science yep. like um always like I, I was just uh that, that were the subjects i'd get a's and b's in all the time and then also art i was a very visual kind of person so uh, i i love to kind of like think in that like uh, i suppose non-conventional way of like outside the box but yeah I, I did a lot of reading uh everything from um ebook like proper ebooks I'm not just talking about like some like oh joe jeffrey fitness or whatever I'm not not saying joe jeffrey fitness is bad like i just that was the first name that popped in my head he's actually yeah. a very good source of information uh he's very good very credible <laughs> but like uh, let's just say like joe joe blow fitness or whatever like sure um like re- releases an ebook about like uh drugs or whatever it's like it, the, the quality of the information that's probably going to be next to like trash mm. um i was i was reading ebooks that were written by actual chemists and and pharmacologists and things like that yep. uh, that had that spanned back to like the the late 80s early 90s and then i also read uh chemistry textbooks to understand the actual chemistry structure um the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of these drugs and i obviously i, I thought i knew a lot at the time thanks to the Dunning-Kruger effect, you kind of get to that point where you first initially start learning about something you think you know a lot. And then you 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 come to this moment of realisation that, hang on a minute, I know next to nothing. There's so yeah. much that I need to learn. But I made the decision to make the switch when I was kind of peaking on the Dunning-Kruger effect where I thought I knew a lot. I knew a lot more than my peers, which was enough to kind of, I suppose, validate my decision to go through with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was hesitant. I even spoke to uh, a friend of mine at the time, Brandon Kempter, and I asked about his opinion, like, because I was like, you've stayed natural. Like, why are you staying natural? And he, he told me why he's going to stay natural, that sort of thing. Like, he, he thought about it, but he decided not to, that sort of thing. Like, and uh, I mean, he's one of the best natural bodybuilders in the world now. Um, yeah. But so hat off to him. But, but yeah, I basically just thought to myself, well, my goals are not attainable naturally. Like, I wanted to look like a freak eventually. Like, I wanted to be able to move weights like a freak. And I just realized, well, if I want to make that that switch and I'm already competing and I'm at a point where I'm kind of, I'm stagnating a bit, I could have milked out more natural progress if I really approached my training intuition better and had a very, very good coach at the time. But there weren't many that existed at the time, as you would have known. The coaching pool in Australia wasn't very good until probably about 2012 onwards. Yeah, that's so right. kind of like, and, and like, even though like it was, it was a few years after that point when I made the switch, it was kind of like I didn't really know any good coaches at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like, okay, well, I, I didn't know any good coaches. So I, I'm just like, I don't, I don't trust anybody to, 
to to kind of like uh, I suppose pay on a regular basis to help me with my my progress. I mean, Brandon, I did, but I was interested in powerlifting at the time, and he was a bodybuilder coach. So I'm like, oh, like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna just like make the switch, and I'm just gonna like do it safely and conservatively. And uh, I learned a lot in the process. I made a couple of mistakes, um, so it's a bit of like active learning along the way. Sure. Uh, but I definitely had I had more RPL, uh, sorry, uh, prior knowledge than a lot of uh, other individuals. Yeah, okay. which I, I'm thank I'm thankful for because I probably would have uh, been in a much worse position had I have not done those two to three years of research prior to. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Any any regrets? Um, yeah. So I mean, I always like to say like I don't want to live with any regrets, but uh, I'd if I could turn the, the the wheel of time back, I probably would have stayed natural a little bit longer, so I could have at least done. Um, powerlifting and bodybuilding naturally before okay. obviously making the switch because yep. it would have been nice to see what my physique was capable of naturally on a bodybuilding stage before going enhanced. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it was it was inevitable that I was eventually going to make that switch, uh, whether it be sooner or later. Uh, okay. And I, I I just made the I made the risky decision to to decide at that point in time, and I was like, you know what? Um, and and yeah, I agree with you. It's like once you make the switch. You, you, you're never natural again. Like I know a lot of people say, oh, but like this federation after two to three years of no use, like, uh, or with uh, a TRT script written by the doctor, you're allowed to. And I was like, yeah, that, that's all hogwash. I think it's just like, it's, it's just, it's little loopholes, like the same way that the legal system isn't like truly like just, it's just, it's a system that works and it's a system that's fair because it's standardized for everybody. Yep. And it, it comes down to how well you know how to kind of like exploit the system in regards to what you can get out of it or what you can't get out of it. But that's right. uh, it's the same, it's, it's standardized for everybody, which is why I suppose it's looked at as being just, even mm-hmm. though it's not. But like when it comes to, yeah, natural and enhanced, I think, yeah, once you pin, once you take that first injection, you're never natural again. So yeah. don't kid yourself. Don't ever do the unethical, immoral uh, act of competing in a drug-free, tested competition of any sort after you've knowingly used something in the past because you're just a, a filth, in my opinion. Yeah. It's just a colloquial term for like a liar and a, a cheat um, because you're always going to have a physiological advantage once you take drugs, um, uh, especially if you've done like a, a full cycle because you have a higher um, myonicular cell count per, per cell like than a natural individual, which means that you have more like nucleus in each individual muscle cell leading to your ability to accrue more tissue than you would otherwise have been able to naturally. And I mean, yeah, sure. Some people are always going to naturally have a genetic advantage, but that's the, that's the thing that natural bodybuilding is about, okay, how far can your genetics get you? How far can your nutrition and training and, um, and, and I suppose optimization of health supplements get you and, and recovery um, modalities, but like, yeah, it, genetics are a factor. And so, unfortunately, yeah, drugs will allow you to manipulate your genetics to a degree, but you're no longer natural if you're doing that. It doesn't matter no. if you had shit genetics and you, you, you're doing drugs to, uh, I suppose, improve your genetics to some degree. Like, you can't just go back to competing naturally in seven years' time if you want to. I just think that's unfair. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I'm Still. definitely the same boat as you. It's very, this is an eth- ethical debate and it's very kind of, I suppose that there's there's two sides to it and there's a lot of people on one side of the fence, a lot of people on the other side. But Absolutely. I think once you make that decision, yeah, just just forget it. You you're mm. enhanced. But, yep. Yeah. Yeah, fair call. Yeah. Fair call. Um can you talk about um 
and this is something I don't really know a lot about the the hmm. the difference between the 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 natural and enhanced athlete in terms of growth, like the rate of growth. Um, obviously, you know, enhanced, you can clearly yeah. see the physical change. And and you mentioned before you you hmm. were looking at maybe three to four kilos in this improvement season, whereas a natural, from my own experience, it might be you might be lucky yeah. to get one in twelve months if you're a, a seasoned yeah. lifter. So. How does that work from a, a pharmacological point of view? Like, obviously, the, you know, and, and you've mentioned cycles as well. So I'm assuming, again, being very naive to this, um, you know, you cycle for a period of time in, in terms of whatever the, the, the products are you're taking, dial them off and then go again. Um, can we? Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, I mean, in ter- let's tackle the, the rate of muscle growth first. So. Mm. Uh, a natural athlete, obviously, that's capped. And I mean, we've got a lot of predictors, for like uh, prediction models for like how much you can gain in the first year of drug-free lifting, second, third, that sort of thing. Lyle McDonald has a very good model for that. Yep. I believe Eric Helms also came out with a very good one. Um, but as a natural drug-free lifter, you're kind of looking at that like, what is it? I think like 30, 30 pounds, give or take, like five pounds either way is typically like the amount that you gain over the, the majority of your career as a natural lifter, like of like actual contractile tissue. Yep. Uh, pe- pe- making sure people understand that contractile tissue, like muscle tissue is 70% fluid or 70% water. So like if you're severely dehydrated or severely hydrated, that's going to Im- uh, influence how much your muscle actually weighs on your frame. So like people need to keep that in their mind. Um, and so when it comes to like the, the, the rate of muscle growth, I don't think the actual like model in terms of like the, the amount, uh, I suppose, that you gain in your second year versus your first year, if you look at it from a percentage perspective of like mm. total body mass, changes much for an enhanced lifter, but it's more, it's just that like the, the model's kind of the same. It's just the parameters are widened. So it's like drug use just widens the parameters for what's possible naturally. So if you're able to like, say, um, build, <laughs> these are arbitrary numbers, of course. Yeah. Like it's yep. impossible to say exactly because, we, we all respond a little bit differently genetically to, to training stimuli, nutrition, that sort of thing. And then also yep. drugs. Like yep. another thing, uh, some people are non-responders to drugs. So literally some individuals get literally no benefit from using steroids. Is that others right? get like, yeah, wow. yeah, others get, others get an incredibly ridiculously inflated benefit from using them and they just grow like a weed. And it can also be uh, compound specific. So because obviously the, the, the chemical structure of each steroid is different. Mm. Uh, some individuals hi- hyper respond to one drug versus uh, other individuals who get no response to that. And then some individuals like across the board just respond to nothing. Others respond across the board very well to everything. Um, there's a lot of individual variants when it comes to drug response. Um, same thing with training response and nutrition response. So like when it comes to the enhanced lifter, let's just assume like uh, all ve- just for this purpose of like comparison, let's say we've got two biologically identical individuals, say they're clones of one another, like yep. same response to drugs, training, nutrition, blah, blah, blah. Um, same muscle values, insertions, height, everything. Um, so let's say that they're both starting at like 60 kilos body weight or whatever. You might see like the, the natural lifter, like gain whatever it is in their first year of lifting. And you'll probably see like the enhanced lifter gain one and a half to two times the amount of that in their first year of lifting. So kind of like it, it, it has kind of like a, a a ceiling elevating effect of how much you're able to gain each year, but it's still an exponential rate of decay because you're going to reach, just as you do reach your natural genetic potential along the way, um, provided that you kind of like cap your drug usage at a certain point or you reach a drug um, administration dosage of like, a, I don't know, there's a point of diminishing returns for drug use, like more is better to a certain point and then eventually you just accumulate more side effects and no additional growth from it 
Um, so like you, you have a natural genetic potential and that ceiling kind of caps off and then you have an enhanced genetic potential and that ceiling kind of caps off somewhere above that one. And so mm. you, you can't, but the, the, the model of the rate of growth is the same provided that you're not suddenly just ramping the dosage up. Um, if you suddenly ramp the dosage up from being like a very conservative dose to like a very astronomical dose of drugs, then you're going to see these like spikes of like massive rates of increase in, in muscle growth and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, the, the rate of muscle growth, the models are pretty similar from natural to enhanced. It's a little bit more linear in an enhanced athlete to a certain point, but that's only because the ceiling that they can reach is a lot higher. But once they get close to that ceiling, it still bottles out. And then if they try to push that higher, they try, if they try to exceed their enhanced genetic potential by just raising the drug dosage more and more, they just find that they just shorten their life quicker and they, they run into more side effects and things like yeah, that. Yeah. Wow. Um, so like, yeah, uh, but, but I mean, yeah, when it comes to the actual, like, um, I, I guess muscle preservation effects, uh, enhanced athletes are definitely at an advantage in terms of maintaining tissue in a deficit. Even, uh, it's very common to see enhanced athletes grow into a show for the majority of the prep. And then say the last like four weeks, even, or even like same, sometimes even four weeks out from a show, they're still growing a little bit technically. But then you see that kind of like that last final two weeks where things get very aggressive and before you do the, the peak where they just don't grow anymore. Strength does uh, tend to decline in that four to two week out mark for enhanced athletes. Yep. But like up until then, like you can, it's not uncommon to see enhanced athletes hitting PBs up until like four weeks out, like and wow. growing and getting leaner. Like, I mean, uh, for example, like uh, I'm a, I'm a very, I like to say I'm very moderate and conservative with my approach to things. And I was, I started my prep at 104.5 kilo right. uh, or 104.3 kilo or something, something around that. And I got all the way up to nearly 110 kilo while I was in a 1000 calorie deficit. Is that um, right? Wow. So, so I basically went from, I'll have to look at my exact measurements. I think I was like 61 mil over nine site at 104.5 when I started. Yeah. I was, I was like 49 mil and 109 kilo. On like, what? On stage? It, no, no, no. no. Uh, that was like two two thirds of the way through prep. Oh, okay, right, right. And so, yep. like, yeah. So, so basically, my calories calories went from an average of about like forty five hundred a day at the start of prep hmm. down to like thirty five thirty five hundred a day, but my body weight had climbed up five kilo, and my skin folds had dropped down about uh, twelve to fifteen mil over nine sites or wow. maybe more 60 60 down to 49 whatever that's 21 mil yeah so drop, yeah, yeah, yeah. skin folds dropped 21 mil body went up five kilo and that was all while i was on a thousand calories a day less than i was wow. when i started prep and that was maintenance at starter prep because i was maintaining weight on that so yeah, it's right. like it just goes to show how powerful pharmacology can be when you one respond well to it two train properly three mm. manage your recovery fatigue modalities well like your sleep hydration uh, micronutrition and then also yep. obviously macronutrient intake and then uh, it's when you kind of like dial all those things in it has that obviously that that holistic effect of like things just work yep um but i mean even if you're enhanced like if you're not getting sufficient sleep if you're not getting sufficient food um you're typically not going to get the most out of the 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 stuff that you're using so to speak of course it's not a not a miracle it's not a miracle pill not a miracle drug but it do- definitely does enhance the effects and it can attenuate the negatives of dieting and, and uh, it can act as a little bit of a crutch for poor nutrition and sleep to a degree, but people will find if they use it as a crutch, they'll eventually get injured as a result. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I mean, that raises a good point. Like, you know, there, there is obviously a misconception that 
if you go down that path of, of enhancements, you know, you, you, ha- you can, you don't have to obviously bust your backside as much as a, a natural athlete does to obviously, get, you know, yeah. get considerable gains, which is completely false, isn't it? You, you guys still train yeah. just as hard, just as intense. And like you said, nutrition, sleep, hydration, like micronutrients, they all yeah. still need to be ticked in terms of, um, in terms of obviously optimal health. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. No, you spot on right on the money there. Like, uh, but yeah, the big misconception is, oh, he takes steroids. If I took steroids, I could look like that. It's like, yeah, no, you couldn't. Like, shut <laughs> up. You don't know what you're saying. Like, <laughs> um, but I mean, if, if you, but you do get the occasional lifter, the recreational lifter, because a, a lot of people don't realize probably I'd say this is like taking a stab in the dark. 70 to 80% of people you see in gyms, typically guys, just in commercial gyms too, on, on stuff or have been on stuff. A lot of guys yeah. that don't look like they're on drugs are on drugs. So like yeah. just to, yeah, just to put it out there. But then you do get a lot of those individuals who are just very seasoned lifters that look like they're on drugs, but they're, they're not. Like, I mean, Brandon Kempter, uh, Daniel. Oh, he Chappelle, gets, he gets like, accused all yourself, the time like, of being enhanced. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. But you, you, like, you guys have just got like 10 years plus of lifting experience. And it's like, you guys have an impressive physique because you've put in the time and you've ticked all the boxes and you've consistently done it over long periods of time. Sure. There might be short periods of like inconsistency and stuff, but we're only human at the end of the day. Like we can't sure. be robotic and perfect like every day of the week, year round. But, um, but the, yeah, the, 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 as the saying goes, like the, the, the person who hits 80% over 10 years is going to see a bigger return on investment than the person who hits 100% for short bursts of time. Um, that's right. And that that's the thing. Like you get a lot of these enhanced guys and they, unfortunately they give, they give a bad rap to enhanced lifters in, in, in general as a whole, because they, they'll jump on drugs as a shortcut or a quick fix. And they're the guys that you see that, yeah, they'll eat dominoes each night. They won't track their food. They'll, yep. they'll go in, they'll do this half rep squats. They'll leg press. They won't squat because, oh, they got bad knees. They won't bench press because, oh, they got bad shoulders or something like that. And then they they come and lift the same weight, sort of the same thing every time. Or they come and they don't know what they're doing. They just make their session up on the day. Yep. They just get a pump, um, get blood in the muscle, and and they wonder why they look like a, a, a sack of shit wrapped in glad wrap. It's like well, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like it's big because they're they're not they're not focusing on the big rocks. They're, they're focusing on these like little grains of sand and these pebbles. Yep. And it's like get get the big rocks in first, then the the, the pebbles, then the sand. And obviously, yeah, as the analogy goes, you can't you can't fill a jar up. Uh, optimally if you put all the sand in first try put big rocks in after that and you're screwed yeah that's um, so so yeah like i mean it's it's funny like it, there's definitely people that use it as a crutch but yeah it, it, the misconception of like oh we don't train hard we don't work hard the, the ones the enhanced bodybuilders that do it right I'd, I'd beg to argue yeah otherwise because yeah like you said we still have to dial in our nutrition our sleep we have, we have to do more things than naturals do. We have to get regular blood work to make sure that we're not destroying our kidneys and our liver. We have to take more health, health, more health supplements. There's a bigger financial cost. Like, um, and, and a lot of this is just to attenuate the negative effects or the potential negative effects of the stuff that we're taking. Then you also have to uh, be mindful of, of things like your blood pressure and stuff like that, uh, which might involve regularly measuring your blood pressure. So I measure my fasting blood glucose every day. I measure my blood pressure every day. I... Um, I, I I do a lot of things to make sure that my health is in tip top shape because at the end of the day, it's like, I want a family one day. Like my life actually means something to me and I want to be able to give back and contribute to the world. Like yep. when I finish my studies, I'd love to eventually, if I ever do retire from coaching in like the, the, the distant future, I'd love to pursue something in medicine or, or, or become a, a specialist surgeon and actually help save lives on a larger scale. But, yeah, wow. but I mean, 
in order to do that, I've got to make sure I don't kill myself <laughs> pursuing my my goals while I'm younger. And a lot of yep. that comes down to attenuating risk as much as possible by being smart about your approach. Get your blood work. Yeah, sure. It might cost 50 to $100 every three to four months. But I mean, if that prevents you from having to go through chemotherapy treatment or, or getting a major surgery that costs you 200 grand, then you've saved yourself a shitload of money in the long run and Absolutely. a lot of stress, not only for yourself, but your, your family, your loved ones, because mm. you get sick. Like you're not just affecting yourself. You're affecting everybody that, that cares about you around you. And, uh, and then obviously if you, you're planning on having a family one day, it's like, if you, if you, if you're selfish with your approach to, to achieving your goals and, and just wanting to get there a little bit quicker. So you, you take shortcuts, you do things a little bit less safely, then I mean, you're potentially uh, jeopardizing and I suppose, uh, subjecting your children eventually one day growing up with no father or mother or something like that. And that, that'd be tragic. Like imagine Absolutely. not, not being there for your kids because you just decided to, to be a little less careless, a little more careless with your approach to, to how you did things. Yep. Yeah. Good point. Good point. And, and look, you've, you've raised a, a number of risks in regards to obviously going down the enhanced road, you know, and, and obviously some of the, mm. the side effects of symptoms into cystic, cystic acne, the, the, the memory glands behind the nipples, mm. um, erectile dysfunction. Mm. We've seen, um, probably over the last oh, 12, 18 months, like there's been significant, um, deaths in the bodybuilding community, the enhanced bodybuilding community. Cedric McMillan was the yeah. most recent one that I can recall. Um, I think it was only mm. 51 years of age. So, yeah. Assuming that, and, and, and I'm not saying that he was obviously not doing the right things or anything, but you can significantly shorten your lifespan if you do things incorrectly down this path. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. A lot of it's dose dependent, um, and how you approach and, and manage your health. Um, mm. because a lot of people think, Oh yeah, I've got blood work. Everything in my blood works fine. Therefore I'm healthy. So I would know like dig deeper. Like I can guarantee you should be getting more tests done. Like, Get, get your organs scanned, like you, especially mm. your liver, your kidney, and your heart. Like they're big ones you want to get scanned regularly, at least every six months. Um, on top of that too, like, I mean, uh, making sure that you're not getting any peripher- peripheral atherosclerosis, which is very common in bodybuilders. And it's honestly, the, it's, co- it's what caused um, Flex Wheeler to have to get his legs amputated. Or yeah, his leg yeah. amputated. It was because, so he got, he basically got peripheral, peripheral arterial blockage in the limbs. So like peripheral being like through the, the, the legs and the arms. And that is predominantly related to either having too high of a vitamin D intake or insufficient magnesium levels for a long period of time. So, I mean, a lot of like atherosclerosis or like uh, clogging of the arteries can be prevented by just simply staying on top of your micronutrient intake, making sure that you're not using drugs in high dosages and things like that. That's why a, a, a safer approach model is always the best approach to take. Like it's never going to be a hundred percent safe or, or, or it's never going to be healthy drug use in any way, shape or form. But yep. Um, you can mitigate and you can attenuate the risk substantially by having a very conservative approach to it, a very moderate approach and, and literally using the, the, the absolute minimum effective dose required to achieve the desired outcome. But a lot of people, unfortunately, yeah, they think more is better or they're impatient. Like we discussed, we live in an yeah. gratification society where they just more now is always better. I want it now. I don't, I don't want to wait 10 years. I want to get 10 years of progress in one year. It's like, okay, cool. You can do that, but you're gonna you're gonna suffer the consequences as a result. So yeah, yeah. Got to think long um, time, no, yeah. I think yeah, but unfortunately, yeah, like you said, a lot of bodybuilders are dropping dead in in the community at the moment, and uh, a lot of them are open bodybuilders. So I admit, a lot of them are taking dosages that a lot of people would probably have a, a heart attack looking at. Um, <laughs> I've, I've heard I've heard of, I've heard of some of the stacks that they they're using at that level, and I mean, it's like it's 
I, I didn't even think people would be stupid enough to run those dosages, but I mean, the, they're out there. And, uh, wow. and uh, yeah, and it's just like, yeah, the, the, the dosage, the, the compounds you use, the duration you use them, they all play a role. But yeah, there's a lot of deaths happening and occurring. And unfortunately, a lot of it's like um, people from the, I suppose, the eras where there was less information available. But luckily, like the, the biggest advantage I want to highlight, and I suppose the, the, the only real silver lining to, uh, I suppose, enhanced athletes these days is the accessibility to good quality information is uh, substantially greater than it was when I, I kind of made the decision, which obviously like wasn't a, a super long time ago. And I mean, uh, but, but think about what would have been available for, for information in the eighties and the nineties. It was stuff oh, all information. Yeah. Unless if you, unless if you start, even if you, uh, honestly, even if you studied chemistry and biochemistry at university, um, the, the studies and the literature that they had um, uh, back then was like mu- much less so than what they have these days. And I mean, uh, also the, um, the, I suppose the anecdotal experience, the, the uh the the people that were just transparent and open about it back then that there were no near as many individuals were open and transparent about it back then no uh, that's because true. everyone was obviously everybody who was successful in the bodybuilding community that was enhanced they had sponsorships and back then the sponsors didn't want them to be open about it they're like we want you to pretend to be natural yeah yeah but but now what we're seeing is we're seeing the shift of like all the enhanced bodybuilders saying, screw you. If you don't let me be open and honest, I don't want to rep your product. Yeah. And so now all of these guys are like, oh, hang on a minute. Like we're going to have to change our approach. We have to let them be a little bit more open about what they do. Otherwise we're going to have no, um, no, no, uh, I suppose you could say like sales marketing by our sponsored athletes. So, yeah. and that's a big loss for a lot of companies. So I guess they're kind of saying, okay, well let's, let's let them kind of be a little bit more open about it. Um, and, and so, yeah, you're getting a lot of, a high caliber information out there from a lot of individuals like John Jewett. He's got his online platform. I'll eventually have an online plat- learning platform where people can learn about that sort of stuff, but it's, it takes years to, to construct that and formulate. Oh, of course. But there's yeah. a lot of, indi- a lot of individuals, Joe Physique Collective uh, over in the, uh, the UK. Uh, you've got, um, you got a lot of people on YouTube too. Uh, that put out good quality information. There's a lot of monkeys on YouTube that put out terrible information too. So you've got to like take everything with a grain of salt and, yep. Um, but yeah, there, there's, there's a host of resources available to find high caliber information in regards to um, the drugs, how they uh, affect the body, like the, the, I suppose the pros and the cons of each compound, uh, how uh, and when they might be employed or, or deployed for, for, best, uh, for the best effect and when they should yep. be taken out, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of uh, credible information, freely accessible and and so my my biggest thing that I encourage anyone to do who is considering making that decision down the track is to just well inform yourself, like become as well informed as possible, learn yep. as much as you can, because at the end of the day, that's what's going to save your life. Um, if you're hell bent on making the switch of decision, there's no point in me saying, hey, don't do it. Or like, I advise you not to do it because at the end of the day, people are going to do whatever the hell they want to do. Yep. Um, so I just, I think it's just paramount that people are as well informed as they can possibly be. Absolutely. Yeah. Good point. That was going to be my next sort of um, segue into, you know, a young, young individual. And we've spoken about this wanting to, um, to go down that path, do your research, talk to those that may have done it before you. Um, and like you said, there's yeah. so much information out there that can be, it can be a bit overloading. So, you know, as, I guess as well, yeah. as be as well educated as you can be, tick all the boxes before you make the decision and, um, you know, yeah. best of luck. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And understand that it's a short-term thing. Like eventually you're going to have to stop if you do make the switch. Yep. Eventually you're going to lose all of that, that additional muscle you had beyond your natural potential. Yep. And you've got to be, if internally you've got to be okay with that and, and come to terms with the fact that you're not going to have this forever. But at the end of the day, like bodybuilding isn't about how much muscle you can accumulate. It's about everything that you learn along the way, like the self-discipline you develop, the the like the the um the internal like mental fortitude that you develop the 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 work ethic all of these things carry over to other areas of life and you'll find that they're going to make you a better person in the long run so it's like even if you just yeah when you become a, a bodybuilder and then eventually go enhance whatever just acknowledge that you're doing this for a season in your life and eventually that season is going to come to its end and you've got to be willing to hang the towel up and just move on to that next chapter in your life and understand that health is more important and there are more important things to, to come. Yeah. And that, that was just that was just one of one of the uh experiences or one of the moments in your life. It was a chapter. That's all it was. Yeah. That's a good point. I, and and I'll, I'll start to wrap up because I don't want to take up too much of your time. But um no, coming no, to no. the end of that um that enhanced period, if you will, like um, depending on what, what stage you are in life, like there, there could be a significant um element of body dysmorphia as you, you know. The, the enhancements wear off. You, you lose the size and the muscle. That there's potentially not as much self gratification or awareness or, um, you know, acknowledgement yeah. from others because of that. It's something you definitely have to be prepared for. Yeah, big time. Yeah, very very similar to post show blues that you would experience. Like the yep. you, you struggle to acclimate back to not being stage lean and that sort of thing. But it's like eventually you come to terms with it. So I think there's kind of that buffer period. You will kind of struggle initially, but as long as you. Uh, highlight the important things in life and the things that are equally as valuable to you. Like you can get through that period and then you'll find that you'll get back to a point where you're definitely happy and, yep. and content with how you look. Like you're still going to look phenomenal when you lose that size and people need to keep that in mind. Mm. Keep, keep those well-established habits of training regularly, proper nutrition, sleep, living a healthy lifestyle, and you'll just be a, a, a shrunken down version of who you were before. But yep. you should, there, there's no reason why you can't be just as happy if not happier. Yeah, hundred percent. Great point. Great point. Um, so, in terms of your coaching, um, your coaching business, now you work with um, enhanced natural powerlifters, athletes. Um, do you do do you any any gen pop, or is it primarily just um, athletes or, or, or sporting related individuals? Yeah, so predominantly, uh, predominantly bodybuilding uh, and, and like powerlifting. If if I work with powerlifters, it's more so for their nutrition these days, okay, uh, like performance nutrition. But bodybuilders definitely is like my predominant niche, like uh, IPB that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yeah, definitely do a lot of lifestyle coaching too. There's a lot of individuals that I coach who are like in their their fifties, sixties that are like just business people, um, or even in their forties and thirties, like just recreational lifters that sort of thing. But yeah, I'd yep. say, I mean, like all individuals, like you're always going to have like a a handful of people that you work with that are lifestyle related but yep. yeah then my my, my niche and passion is definitely like ifbb bodybuilding like classic bodybuilding opens men's physique yeah cool 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 so if anyone listening would like to sort of uh, reach out or even just follow along how do they find you yeah. um and you know you're primarily on instagram you've got a website youtube mm-hmm. your youtubes are fantastic um so yeah. what are the what are the tags there the the, the handles there yeah, so starting with Instagram, it's probably the easiest way to reach me. Uh, I'm not very frequent on the DMs, but I do get back to them as quickly as possible. Coach Nicholas Weir, so C O A C H N I C H O L A S W E I R. That's my Instagram handle. Uh, I've got a link tree in my bio, which takes you to my website, my coaching application, so you can go onto the wait list and uh, also takes you to my YouTube channel. So if you can find me on Instagram, you can find all my other links in my link tree in my Instagram bio. It's probably the easiest way. 
Okay, fantastic. Awesome, mate. Well, I really appreciate you um, giving us such an in-depth insight into the world of enhanced uh, bodybuilding and, and and just that, I guess, transparency. It's it's quite refreshing to, to have a chat to someone who's prepared to openly talk about it. It really is because a lot of people still consider it taboo. A lot of those that enhanced athletes that are clearly enhanced athletes refuse to openly talk about it for whatever reason. So, yeah, it's been really good yeah. to get a good insight. That's for sure. Oh, appreciate that, mate. Uh, pleasure being on, and I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to, to come onto the podcast. So, uh, yeah, thanks again, mate. Not a problem. So I'll finish up with the final question I ask all guests, and that is who would you invite to dinner? So this is more of a personality question. You know, you, you oh. can, it, it can be male, female, <laughs> dead or alive, fictional, non-fictional. Who would you love to have a meal with and just a, a great conversation with? Uh, could be a couple of people if you want. Okay. That's incredibly difficult. I mean, if you asked Nicholas in high school, it would have been Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, but if you ask me now, I mean, I'd probably say probably say Elon Musk. He seems like an interesting fellow. I'd love to Absolutely. like chat to him and pick his brain. Yeah. 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 Well, he just bought Twitter for, what was it? $9 billion yeah. or something. So yeah, yeah the, man, the yeah. man knows how to make a dollar <laughs> and, and yeah, to progress in life. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting fellow. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, no, no, that, yeah. That, yeah. Cool. cool. Well, uh, yeah, mate. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks again. And uh, yeah. Pleasure. I'll definitely come up uh, Sunshine Coast Face soon and, and check out the gym. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. Yeah, you're welcome anytime. If you're heading up to, to see your family, g- give me a shout and, um, yeah, we can do a session together or just hang out, have a coffee or whatever. That'd be great. Really good. So thanks once again, mate. Definitely. I appreciate your time. No worries, mate. No worries. Well, that was pretty powerful and very insightful. It was, it was so refreshing to have a bodybuilder openly discuss what is – on constantly uh, considered a taboo subject. So I'm really appreciative for Nick not only giving up his time to have a, a lengthy chat, but also talk openly and honestly about uh, enhancements. You know, they're, they're, they're everywhere. So it's, it's one of those things that um, are part of society. And the more education and knowledge we have about it, the better. So thank you once again, Nick. Really appreciate it. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please screenshot and share it across your stories. Tag myself at Paul's Body Engineering. Tag Nick as well at Nicholas Weir Coach. Or sorry, at Coach Nicholas Weir. My apologies. Um, if you're interested in any of my coaching services, please jump on paulsbodyengineering.com. And as I say to every client every single day, have a great day.